I was excited to hear that we're giving out gift cards now. <laughs> That's news to me. I missed that meeting, apparently. So if you're watching online and you want to come next week, uh, see Kevin Hodge. <laughs> apparently he'll have gift cards for you. I do want to say as well, for those of you who weren't here last Sunday, if you were watching online, you missed all of the technical fun that we had. And I just want to say, uh, nobody asked me to say this, but I just really feel the need to say this. Uh, none of that was the fault of anybody back there. We have a bunch of people working in the, the sound booth and now the video room in the back, and they were the ones scrambling to try and fix this. It was a new app that we were trying that I was using up here to try to help me with my vision a little bit. It was tested all during the week before, and it ran without a hitch. And then we get here and we get live and it just went haywire. So we've ditched that completely. <laughs> We're on to plan B today and we'll, we'll see how it goes. I hope it goes smoother just for the sake of um, eliminating distractions. I know that was very, very difficult to try to follow through that last week. Do you ever have moments in your life when you honestly pause in astonishment over the fact that God loves you. If you don't, talk to your spouse. They'll be able to point out some reasons why you should be amazed that God loves someone like you. I'm not saying that we should dwell there and dwell on that all the time rather than living in the love and the grace and the freedom that God made available to us through Christ. But I'm saying we should keep that nearby as a handy, healthy reminder that we don't deserve God's love at all. Today we come to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to see an extraordinary and often overlooked account in the Bible that I hope will bring this topic home to us in a very real way today. Jesus said in Mark 2:17 these incredible words I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance and that ought to give hope to all of us because we are all sinners and if Christ had not come for sinners we would have been left out remember this always we're saved not because of our goodness, but because of God's grace. Today we come, as I said, to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to encounter one of the most beautiful stories of God's saving grace in the entire Bible. Last week in Joshua chapter 1, we saw how God had commanded Joshua to get up, to go over the Jordan into Canaan, to take possession of the promised land that he had said he was going to give the Israelites. So now Joshua is getting ready, he's getting the people ready to carry out that mission. But instead of just rushing in recklessly, here's what he does in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, I, I want to just pause here very, very quickly. This is not our focus this morning, but... I wonder if the reason Joshua only sent two spies in this time was because you remember the last time, 40 years earlier, 
When 12 spies were sent in, 10 of them came back doubting God and ended up turning the hearts of the entire nation against God. Only two of those spies believed by faith. And by the way, one of those was Joshua. And so now here he is, they're, they're back at the same point, they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land, and Joshua sends spies over into the land. It's been 40 years, and he wants to see how things have progressed and what their strategy should be. By the way, a calling of God does not rule out planning and common sense. Just throw that in. Well, whatever Joshua's thoughts were, we don't know, but whatever they were, he decided it'd be better just to send two this time. So he sends the two spies into Jericho, and the second part of verse 1 says, And they went and came into the house of a harlot or a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were being introduced in the Bible for the first time, I'm guessing you would probably not want to be introduced like she was here. This is the first time we meet her. And hey, this is Rahab the harlot. The first thing we learn about her is that she's a prostitute. But listen, the Bible is not being unkind by introducing Rahab this way because it's important to remember this with Rahab and with everyone else in the Bible. This story isn't about Rahab. It's about God's transforming grace and how he took Rahab from who she was and transformed her into a beautiful woman of God's grace. And there are some incredible things we can learn from Joshua chapter 2, from the introduction and the life of Rahab. And I've narrowed it down to just three things today. I want to share three things from her life. First of all, I want us to see what Rahab had what she had. There were two main things Rahab had, two things that she, if you, if you will, brought to the table. And the first one was sin. She brought sin. Rahab was the kind of woman other people looked down on. She was the kind of woman who mothers would pull their child a little closer to their side when they saw Rahab coming down the street towards them, perhaps even crossed over to the other side of the street because, you know, kids, we don't associate with people like that. She was a prostitute. She lived in, you know, that part of town. She was that kind of woman. She had a reputation, and it was not a good one. In people's eyes, she was the lowest of the low. She was the dirtiest of the dirty. And in her desire to find God and to be forgiven, she didn't have a whole lot to bring to the table. The one thing she had was her sin. And that's what she brought. Now, I want us to get that because we need to understand that that's what we all brought when we came to God. Rahab was no different than any of us. Listen, none of us who are saved were saved because we were less of a sinner than someone else. We're all equal sinners in God's sight. And we're all saved the same way, one way, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We all know, I think Romans 3.23, if we've been in church a month, we've probably heard that. It's like John 3.16. It's one of the go-tos. 
because it's such a powerful verse. But you know, I never hear anybody give the bookends to that verse and quote Romans 3, 22 and 24. Here's what that says. And this righteousness from God, that's, that's what we're given when we're saved. We're given righteousness in place of our sin. Watch this. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no distinction or difference. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a sad statement. The church over the years, I mean, the, the big C church, we've become experts at looking down our nose at other people. In fact, I've seen cases in my life where church members have been milling around in the auditorium before a service, and a certain person will walk in for the first time who clearly doesn't fit. Long hair, covered in piercings. We're still working on you, man. <laughs> covered in piercings, covered in tattoos, a drug addict, an alcoholic. You know, that, that person walks in, and I've seen church members turn their back and look the other way. They're not one of us. And the foolishness of that is we don't realize that what we're actually communicating is we think we're better than them. We think somehow we got saved because our sin was better in God's eyes than their sin. It's foolishness when you really slow it down and look at it. Why is it that followers of Christ do what I said a minute ago? They either literally or figuratively cross to the other side of the street when they are about to encounter someone who makes them nervous, someone who just looks like a sinner. Why is it that we so often communicate that to our children when they're growing up? Oh, this is our club, and they're not in it. We don't associate with people like that. Shame on us. As the church, we have not been called to isolate ourselves into our own little sanitized bubble and keep ourselves safe from all the sinners out there. That's not our mission. It's the opposite of our mission. We think that the Christian life is this, what we're doing today. We come together with other believers, we sing, we hear the word, we're pumped up, we're all excited. Yay, I'm living the Christian life. Man, this is like 5% of the whole thing. I've never seen a church slogan in my life that said, so-and-so church, a friend of sinners. In fact, maybe we should change ours to that. You know what? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Let me rephrase that. He was accused of being a friend of sinners. You know why? Because he was. He was. We've got to get past this idea that somehow we were saved because God looked favorably upon us, or we did just the right things at just the right time to make God happy, and he said, okay, hey, listen, we got a good candidate here. I think they're in the club. Not a chance. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. If you're told to run and try to leap across the Grand Canyon, does it really matter if you jump two feet further than the other person? You're both going to fall to your death. 
in the end, it doesn't really matter. This is the picture of us before we came to know Christ. Rahab had, had this one thing to bring to God. It was her sin. And it's the same for every one of us. But there's a second thing she brought. Verses 2 through 7 tell us how these two spies were nearly arrested. They're in the city, and apparently they had you know, facial recognition cameras installed all over the place. And some alerts went off, and we read here, the king got you know, all upset and said, hey, we've seen these two men in the city, and they... I don't know if they knew they were in danger, but they ducked into this woman's house for shelter. And the king sent word to her and said, where are these two men that we heard went into your house? And Rahab ended up hiding them on the roof of her house. Now, it's not like the roofs we have today. That would be difficult to hide someone there. They had flat roofs, and they would often lay things out on the roof to, to dry or to cure. And that's what we see as, as we follow the story through. So she, she hid them up on the roof. Now look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, watch this, I know, very important, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted in fear before you. For we have heard, remember that, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, watch this, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Here's the second thing Rahab had. Amazingly, she had faith. She brought faith. Rahab is saying, I heard who God is, and I heard what he has done, and I believe in him. Faith comes by hearing. Rahab hadn't personally seen a thing. She hadn't personally seen any of these events in Israel's history, but she had enough faith to believe that the God of Israel was the true God. And so here we have this sinful woman who brought sin to the table in negotiating with God, if I can just put it loosely into those terms to give us a picture. But the other thing she had, after she heard about this God, she had faith. Despite her sin, she had faith. She was beginning to understand who God was and who she was in light of that. You see, listen, where there's faith, sin can ultimately be dealt with. Her faith is what saved her. We see this very clearly over in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. Now, Hebrews 11, it's called the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. This is like I guess, if you will, I, I don't like to put it in these terms, but it's almost like walking into a, a museum and down the main hallway, all these portraits are hung with a spotlight on each of them. And Hebrews chapter 11 names all these great people of the faith, Abraham and Moses and David and all these so-called heroes of the Bible, which there aren't any, by the way. But Hebrews 11.30 and verse 31 includes this woman Rahab. In the hall of faith, it says this, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down 
after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot, don't you think like by this time in the New Testament, she's going, hey guys, can we drop the harlot part? It's been a long time. You know, imagine all these years later introducing her. I'd like you to meet Rahab the harlot. Hey guys, can we drop that? You know, I don't have time to get into this, but there's a reason God chose to repeat that here. And it's a reminder for us. Like if he had just said, and Rahab, we'd just read it by. If you didn't know the Old Testament story, you'd read Hebrews 11 and go, ah, somebody named Rahab, I guess she was a good person because she's included in here. No, God says, oh, by the way, she was a prostitute. And yet, I've included her in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with who? Those who did not believe or who were disobedient when she had received the spies with peace. Listen, one thing that qualified Rahab to be saved is the one thing that qualifies us to be saved, and that's faith. It's faith. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith, and our faith produces our works. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 says, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever comes to God must believe, must believe that he is. Rahab was saved because she had faith. And while Isaiah tells us that our sins separate us from God, listen, our sins can't keep us from God because God always welcomes repentant sinners. Your sins are not going to be what keep you from God. It's going to be unbelief. And that's important. Rahab had plenty of sin, you know, to, to put it in human terms. She had plenty of sin. But her faith, her belief is what brought her to God. And we need to keep that in mind for ourselves. As I was saying at the beginning, do you ever have those times when you just wonder, God, why in the world? Did you ever give me a second look? Why did you ever reach out to me by your saving grace and give me a chance? I'm a sinner. And if you look at your life and you think you're too much of a sinner to be received by God, I want to tell you something. That's a lie because your sin will not keep you from God. Your unbelief will. Well, here's the second thing that you need to see about Rahab. Not only what Rahab had, but secondly, what Rahab wanted. What she wanted. Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. This is Rahab speaking to the spies. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth or a sure sign, and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. You know, it strikes me that for somebody in her position, this is a very bold request. This is a very big ask. Considering that she's a sinner living in the sinful city of Jericho, the very city that God had commanded the Israelites to destroy because of their sin and unbelief, and now here she's asking for the impossible. And that's why Rahab's story is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. She knew, we just read, how God had already 
destroyed other wicked cities, and she knew that that same destruction awaited her and her city. But she asked by faith to be saved from it. I mean, who was she? Who was she to ask that such undeserved kindness be shown to her? She was a prostitute living in a wicked city. And listen, this is the trick of our enemy. Our enemy loves to compare what we've done with who God is. And can I just say, that's an accurate comparison. It's a fair comparison, but here's the problem. He always leaves out what Jesus did in the middle to bring the two together. Rahab was totally unqualified to ask for God's favor. But folks, that's the gospel message. None of us are qualified to ask for God's favor. None of us are qualified to ask to be saved from the coming destruction. None of us are qualified to receive God's forgiveness. And that's where Jesus comes in. He stepped in between God's judgment and us, taking upon himself the dead of our sin and washing us clean by his blood. And now we who were completely unqualified to be forgiven can be forgiven because he has qualified us by his blood. Listen, can I just say, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior this morning, don't let Satan keep you from salvation because I want to tell you, your sin is nothing that the blood of Christ cannot cover. Your sin is no match for the blood of Christ. You simply have to ask to be saved, just like Rahab did. That's what she wanted. That's what she wanted. She didn't ask for riches. She didn't ask for fame. She didn't ask for a better house or a Ferrari. That would have been on my list. She didn't ask for any of that. She saw, listen, she saw destruction coming. And she asked to be saved. I wonder if you don't know Christ today, have you ever opened your eyes to see the destruction that is coming for you? Everyone is a sinner, and everyone who refuses to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has made possible is headed for damnation. God's not going to drag you kicking and screaming against your will into heaven. It is a choice. What is it that you want more than anything in life if you're lost today? What is it that you want? You know what Rahab wanted more than anything? She wanted to be saved. And she asked for it. Well, there's a third and final thing that I want you to see about Rahab. And that is not only what Rahab had, not only what Rahab wanted, but what Rahab got what she got. Verse 14 of Joshua 2. So the men, these are the spies now, so the, the men said to her, our lives for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She lived in the wall. Verse 16. And she said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not find you and hide there for three days. Isn't this interesting? Three days. 
I don't have time. <laughs> Hide there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go your way. Verse 17, the men said to her, we will be blameless from this oath of yours that you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind, circle that word. Yours may say tie, it's okay, but it's not a strong enough word. When we come into the land, you bind this scarlet cord or rope in the window through which you let us down and gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Verse 19, and it will be that if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and we will be innocent. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood will be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from the oath which you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And watch, watch, this is very important. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. She bound the scarlet cord in the window. So what did Rahab get? Because of her faith, here's what she got. First of all, she got a pledge. God made this unusual pledge to Rahab that if she would bind a scarlet cord in her window and let it hang out of her window down the wall of Jericho, her life would be spared when destruction came. And sure enough, we're going to get into this in the weeks to come, God willing, when the day came for Jericho to be destroyed, guess what? God remembered his pledge to Rahab. By the way, I'm working on a study now. I've been working on it for a while. You'll probably never hear it, but maybe at some point you will. I'm going through the Bible, searching for all the times when God remembered. It's beautiful. And God remembered Noah. And God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rahab. Over in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, as this destruction is taking place on the city, it says, Now the city and all who are in it will be doomed by the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house will live. Now listen, I got a promise from God that I would be forgiven if I trusted in him by faith. And when I, when I did that, can I just figuratively tell you this? He tied a scarlet cord into my heart that said, I forever belong to him. And when destruction comes for everybody else, what's waiting for me is what the scarlet cord of the gospel has pledged in my life. And the same is true for you if you're saved. When things around you are falling apart, when it looks like there's no hope at all, you can say with certainty, I still have a scarlet cord that flies from the window of my heart. And I know that God will keep his pledge to me. I'm absolutely certain that I've been forgiven, and in that day, he will remember who I am. Do you have that certainty today? She got a pledge. And whenever God gives us a pledge, it will never be broken. It's what we can hold on to when life around us is falling apart. It's what we can hold on to when the future looks bleak. It's what we can hold on to when friends and loved ones abandon us. It's what we can hold on to 
when the end comes. I wonder how often as the troops began to march around the city, and we'll see that coming up later in the weeks to come. And I wonder as those walls began to shake, I wonder if Rahab ran through the window and made sure that knot was tight. That was the one thing that she could hold on to when everything else was crumbling. What are you holding on to? What pledge are you counting on? Better not be counting on people. They will let you down, just like you let them down. Better not be counting on me. I will fail you. Write it down. Write it down. I will fail you. You know, let's not get ticked off with each other when that happens. Seriously. You know what? Life is hard enough without us infighting. Thank God he spared us from that nonsense here so far. But I'm telling you, if you're coming in here to cause trouble, you're going to get the short end of the stick here. We're not putting up with that here. We don't need to. You and I are going to disagree about some things. So what? I'm going to hurt your feelings sometimes. So what? You're going to hurt mine. So we're even. Yeah, there. It just, these things are so small in the grand scheme of it all. So what are you counting on to keep your faith solid when someone offends you? When shaky things come your way, when there's dark clouds on the horizon and they're headed straight for you, what is your pledge? What is going to keep you secure? Well, there's one more thing that Rahab got, not only a pledge, but this is so beautiful. Second thing she got, she got a future. She got a heritage. This woman who was an outcast, who was cast aside, who was overlooked by everyone. No one would put their money on her to have a great future. You understand? No one. She was written off. Well, we know what her future looks like. Do you really? She got a future. She got a heritage. In fact, it was more than that. She got a lineage of people coming after her whose lives would be blessed because of her life. A former prostitute. Yes, this is what God does. Joshua 6, 24. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Joshua spared Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all who belonged to her. And she has lived in Israel to this day day. Don't miss that. She was a harlot from Jericho, the wicked, evil city that God said, destroy so that they don't influence your future. But now this woman has been given a heritage with the people of God, and she ended up living in Israel. When we first met Rahab, there she was, a prostitute living in sin, in a city of sin, but when she put her faith in the promise of God, God not only saved her, but he took her out of her old life, out of her old ways, and he brought her in to live in his holy city with his chosen people. Listen, God didn't save you to leave you where you are. If you've believed the promise of God for salvation, he has already made you a brand new person. And he has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into 
the kingdom of light, and he has made you a part of his family. That's great news, but it doesn't even end there for Rahab. It gets even better. In Matthew chapter 1, over in the New Testament, we come to Matthew, and now you know these are the first words in the entire New Testament. The very first verse of the New Testament begins like this, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, the book of the genealogy or the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, you know, unless you're into the whole, uh, well, I just forgot the name of the, the big genealogy app that you can get. What is it? Ancestry. Ancestry, yes. So unless you're into that, you know, even, even if you are, this still is not going to hit you as hard as it ought to, as hard as it hit those people back then. Can I just tell you, these Jews lived and died by their family record, by their heritage, their lineage. They were proud of it. And there were all kinds of conditions that had to be met in the family line of the Messiah. And if these conditions weren't met, he wasn't the Messiah. So the New Testament opens with Matthew saying, hey, all you people who aren't sure about this Jesus as to whether he's the Messiah, here's how I'm going to kick this whole thing off for you. Not by telling you some great, exciting story. I'm going to kick it off by digging into his lineage. And we're going to take it person by person down through all the generations from Abraham to David down to Jesus. And as you read this list, you're going to be convinced that this Jesus is the Messiah. And as you do read through this great list of honor, and you see the names of the people who were in the direct line of King Jesus. You're reading down and you get to verse 5. And whose name do you find in the family tree of Jesus? Rahab. Rahab. Are you kidding me? First of all, no offense. I don't mean this for today. This is back then. But a woman listed in the family lineage? Uh-uh. It was always the man always through the man. By the way, side note, there are four women listed in the genealogy of, of Jesus, and all of them had bad pasts. So you're reading down through this list, and there are names you're expecting to see, and you do see them. But in God's wonderful sense of humor, to show his mercy and his grace towards sinners, he sticks some names in there that must have made those Jews fall off their chair have to get back up and pick up the scroll and go, wait a minute, let me get my bifocals because I don't think I'm seeing this right. Rahab? Yeah, Rahab. And you go down through that list and you get to the very end of the list and it says, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. God brought Rahab into the lineage of the Messiah. By doing what? By believing God. By having faith. The truth is, we can all identify with Rahab. And I certainly can. I grew up in a good home where the Bible was taught. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I was still a sinner just like Rahab. I grew up with a heart that rebelled against God, a heart that longed for sin and pursued sin, and I was living in rebellion against him. But God ran a mission of mercy 
that, if you will, slipped past the walls of my heart. And when I saw his holiness and my sinfulness, I knew I was headed for destruction. And so I cried out to him for forgiveness, and he answered me. He did for me what he did for Rahab. He saved me, and he gave me a new life. And he tied a scarlet cord into my heart that still flies from the window there today. And I know this for sure, because that cord is there When the day comes for the nations of this world to be destroyed and to be judged, and all the walls that they've built up against God will collapse, guess what? I will be spared. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And he'll escort me into his eternal kingdom where I will live with him forever. How about you? Would you have to say today, Phil, I'm not sure if I've been saved. I don't think I have the scarlet cord of redemption bound to my heart. I'm not sure that if I died right now, I would go to heaven. Would you do what Rahab did? Would you bring your sin to him? And would you bring whatever faith you have in your heart, believing? that God has made a way of salvation possible for you, would you bring that to him? And then would you check and see what it is you want in life? Would you want what Rahab wanted? Above all else, would you say, I want to be saved from the coming destruction. I know I don't deserve it, but this is my request. I want to be saved. And if you do, God has promised to rescue you from your old life. He's promised to put you in with the family of God. He's promised to give you a heritage, to give you a future and an eternal home in heaven with him. Maybe someone sitting here, maybe someone watching online is still thinking, you know, my sin is is just too bad. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far away. Would you remember Rahab? Would you just think of her story next time that thought comes into your mind? And remember what Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous. If you're trying to be righteous to earn God's favor, you're wasting your time. He's not looking for you. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I pray if you have been saved, this little message from God's word today will be a source of great encouragement for you. And I pray if you never have been saved, that even now, in these moments, as we close and sing a couple of songs, I pray you'd reach out to God by faith. Do what Rahab did. Ask to be saved from the coming destruction. And God will do for you what he did for her. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from Life Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. 
Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see.